It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, journalist, author, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And there is lots to find out about Brexit as we speak. Uh, This week's podcast was recorded on Wednesday before the Prime Minister made her intervention. But my guests are so wise that it didn't make any difference because they had anticipated a lot of the issues that were raised by her Downing Street statement that night. My guests this episode are Dr Bridget Fowler senior researcher at the Hansard Society. They are a charity that is dedicated to supporting and extending and investigating representative democracy in the UK and around the world. Basically, they know everything about Parliament, how it works, how it ought to work, um, and all that sort of stuff. And from the UK and a changing Europe, we were joined by Dr Alan Wager. It was a Two Doctors episode, this one. Uh, we discussed, well, we tried not to get too bogged down by what's going on because it gets out of date very quickly. So we discussed, is democracy broken by Brexit, really, and where it goes from here? And that's basically where the conversation started. Here we go. Do we all accept that we're in some sort of political slash constitutional crisis? Well, I think there's a distinction between a political crisis and a constitutional crisis, which is a, an, an important distinction because when and whether whether and when something moves into the realm of constitutional crisis, are we, are we questioning the core institutions of British politics or is it just a matter of politics that can be resolved through the institutions that we have? I think that's the, the question that we don't really know the answer to yet. Would you agree, Bridget, that there's a difference? I absolutely would agree that there is a difference. Um, we are clearly in, in severe political difficulties, to put it mildly. Um, in terms of the, the Constitution, um, some very fundamental constitutional issues are engaged, but I, I don't think we're quite in, in, a, in crisis yet, quite. Yeah. Um, Why not? We are, aren't we? Isn't the Constitution been shown to be broken by these last few weeks? That's, I, would, I would say that's not quite the same thing it, it's I don't think it's some of the constitutional fundamentals they haven't stopped working um, in the sense that the key question is still what for what is there a majority in the House of Commons the government is still sticking for example to that one very fundamental principle that you need to get a majority in the House of Commons for something that you want to do but there isn't a majority for anything there isn't a majority for anything, but that's not a constitutional question. That's a that's yeah, a yes, because we need a, we need a majority for something, and the House well, of Commons isn't giving us a in majority. In a way, for that's so a doesn't much that show that it's broken. Wider constitutional crisis, long term, arguably to do with whether first past the post in the long run is able to create majority governments, and if, and that is a sort of long term structural problem for the British constitution, and it means that you have crises like the think about the politics of the nineteen seventies. Everyone at the time was saying, we are in a political crisis. There's a crisis of the state, right? And that wasn't anything to do with Brexit happening or anything to do with Brexit being on the agenda. It was to do with the fact that, well, in part, there was no stable 
government in in the UK. I think that's 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 an issue for you know the electoral system in part. No, all right, okay. Well, it's broken, and Brexit has just shown how it's broken. It's always been, or it's been broken for some time. Is that would be the argument, and Brexit has demonstrated how broken it is. No. Sorry to sound sort of a bit nerdy, but I think it probably depends which bits of the constitution you're talking about. There are certainly some bits that are not working well, so and haven't worked well throughout this process, and were not working particularly well even before Brexit. So the, the main thing I'm thinking of there is, is um, relations between the Westminster government and the devolved administrations, for example. I think there's a fairly widespread view that that was not working particularly well. Just to go back, first of all, you don't need to apologise for being nerdy on this podcast, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got Dr Alan Wager sitting here. Um, <laughs> secondly, right, OK, so some things aren't working, and there's an example. Um, has Brexit illustrated any bits of the Constitution that are working particularly well? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, hang on, if it hasn't illustrated any bits that are working, then everything's broken. We're back to my premise that everything's broken. Okay, so thinking about... Okay, I think so this is a no. Come on, you're, you're, that's a straight no. You this don't have week, to and I'm really interested to see what Bridget thinks about it, about the role of... of the, the speaker and the potential politicisation of the speaker, mm. right? And there's this big debate about whether or not John Burkow, John Burkow is is overstepping the line. And what, how is he? How is he acting in accord with the the UK constitution? I guess I guess I'm interested, Bridget, whether you think that this is a sign of the of the speaker the speaker's role functioning effectively, or is it the sign of the disintegration of the of the functioning of the speaker and its ultimate politicisation? I don't know. Well, part of the system is precisely that the Speaker has discretion to make a lot of these key decisions. Um, that That is precisely the system. Yeah. That, and and that, is, um, that, is, that is part of the system. Um, he would say, and I think there's reasonable grounds for saying that, you know, he has been, his overriding objective has been to seek to defend the rights of backbenchers and the House of Commons against the behaviour of the government sometimes. Yeah. Um, that said, given the politics of this, there is clearly a risk now that that position is going to be seen as more political in future. Um, and that may affect, for example, the way in which the next speaker is... is the politics around the, 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 the next speaker. Um, there may be moves, there could be moves to try and... Um, constrain his his freedom of action to a greater extent. This, this is where I think this is where it's, it, the fundamental fundamental question is because we just saw a prime minister's question today where the prime minister is framing it as the government essentially against the legislature, right? The House of Commons mm. against the the government, but the government derives its 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 power from the, from the from Parliament, right? So normally that's where part where where the government gets its power, but now it's it's sort of. And this is interacting with the politics, the fact that we're in a sort of gridlock politically. It means that there's no way through. But, but the, the government should be deriving its power from Parliament, not mm. trying to have its power defined in opposition yeah. to Parliament. Yeah. And this is, this is, a, this is the fundamental thing. Yeah. And so Burkow is saying he's protecting Parliament and Parliament's power. So, and you can, you can make a very clear case for that because he backs up Brexiteers often just as much as Remainers or whatever. So, 
Yeah. I mean, I think some of the, the, the Prime Minister's language recently, um, particularly over the last couple of days, but there have been some earlier examples as well, is, is really very striking about, you know, our, we, the executive, are delivering, quotes unquote, the will of the people, and it's the House of Commons that's getting in the way. I, I mean, this, that, as Alan says, that's really very striking language. So from a Hansard Society point of view, is it brilliant? Because it is really showing this stuff in sharp relief. I mean, government just has been bowling along for a number of years and it just works and nobody pays a lot of attention to it, really. Um, and then suddenly, you know, for example, yes, absolutely, we've got this situation where it suddenly turns out the executive has quite a lot of power, we've just discovered. I mean, it may or may not, you might argue, is currently being run by somebody who's not entirely competent, and that's an issue, but we've suddenly discovered just how powerful the executive is and all the limits to that power, and the same, same of um, Parliament. That hasn't been an issue until Brexit came along, and we suddenly, those, those limits are shown in sharp relief. So from a hands society point of view, it must be brilliant. I think in, in, in general terms, yes, it, it has been good for the society in the sense that um, parliamentary procedure um, and the operation of the House of Commons is suddenly, you know, critical to the fate of the country. Um, and certainly uh, sort of viewing figures for um, BBC <laughs> Parliament, yes. some of the numbers flying around are sort of through through the roof. Yes. Um, so in that and, and, you know, we're getting lots of interest in things which previously might have been seen as somewhat arcane, like delegated legislation, statutory instruments. Um, so from, from that perspective, it has been great for the society. The, the, the flip side would be whether it has shown the House of Commons in particular in a particularly good light and what, what it will do to the public's perception of the place. That must be, isn't that annoying as the Hansard Society in that you sit there doing all your work which you know it's been recommended on the list of recommendations on this podcast because it's all good solid work and yet most journalists in Westminster I hazard to say don't pay it enough or close enough attention and now they're all phoning you up going oh can we be your friends can you explain what the hell's going on that's I, I, that's fine you know we're, we're we're pleased to hopefully be able to help sometimes um with with some of this stuff so that's not a fine we're, that that's not a problem we're we're extremely extremely happy with that I, oh come on it's got to be annoying <laughs> you've been sitting in the corner and now something are all like oh oh be our friend no, you want to say no it's, I, you know it's, it's fine as i say my my colleagues in particular have, have been working for years on delegated legislation for example sort of behind the scenes <laughs> nobody's really interested and now all of a sudden it's you know everybody's incredibly interested in it and what, in what a, is it what is delegated legislation if I say delegated legislation is not primary legislation, then that probably doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really answer. De- it, no. no, primary legislation is acts of parliament. Delegated legislation is a legislation that is um, made by ministers using powers given to them in acts of parliament. So, the, and the most the most um, common form of delegated legislation is these things called statutory instruments (SIs). Oh, hang on, hang on. So, delegated legislation is statutory instruments. Statutory instruments are the most common form of delegated legislation. Ooh. What other sort of delegated legislation is there? Oh my, um, there there are various other non-statutory other, instruments. Uh, no, there, well, there's, there's various. Exists. There are order, there are orders and things. Oh but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but basically, SIs are the other ones that um, that, okay. are, that are the this most common. Is, uh, Henry VIII powers. Henry VIII powers are to use a very <laughs> broad term for them. Henry VIII powers are a particular form of delegated power. Oh, hang on, <laughs> right? No, 
SIs could be described as Henry VIII poets. Some SIs are made using Henry VIII powers. Is there an actual technical definition of Henry VIII powers? A Henry I thought VIII, it was just a broad, you know, tabloid term. A Henry VIII power is a power t- to use um, uh, delegated legislation to amend an act of parliament. Ah, so there is a technical definition of Henry VIII powers. There you go. I've learned something. I just thought it was a tabloid term for all that. Uh, no, this, all is, that, that stuff, this is this is precisely the, the sort of stuff. stuff we sort of spend our time battling to try and explaining to idiots like me. Yeah, <laughs> the plumbing of of the British Constitution and then this analogy that means that uh, Bridget is the plumber, right? So is it, is, are we in a crisis? Are we are we called the plumber? Is, is the plumber the Hansard Society? Uh, Alan, Alan, are you bringing poo into this conversation? <laughs> is that what you're doing? Is that where you're going with this? I'm not saying such a thing. That is where you're poo. going, isn't it? No, well, yeah. Um, That's a maybe. Particular, <laughs> particular audience you're appealing to there. So what have we decided here? British politics and the British constitution are not broken. That's what we're saying. But they are creaking. I think, I think the, the party system is clearly undergoing some change or potentially undergoing some change let's put it that way and clearly I mean the the thing that is the thing that is most obviously broken down to me is is party discipline um, that's that's where things that's I think one of the main places where things are running into difficulty that um, you know neither neither main UK party um, but particularly the the governing party, is no longer a, a disciplined force. That's where I and, think and you don't, a, you don't, you know, part of the problem yeah. is you don't have a gov- you don't have a government position half the time. I mean, that, that seems insane. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got used to stuff like that. I mean, yeah. say, when you say it like that, that just seems completely nuts. And yet, over the past, not even that long, only over the past sort of whatever three months, it's been, four months, it's been really intense. I wonder how much of this is Brexit like and how much of it is, is 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 Jeremy Corbyn and whether a lot of these some of these contradictions within these parties would have been would have resolved themselves through a reordering of the party system or through the party system sort of sorting it out. But because Jeremy Corbyn sits there and the, so many of the Conservative MPs sit in complete opposition with his politics. It makes it very difficult, and it means you end up having all these internal consist- inconsistencies within the governing party that are allowed to sort of nah. stay there. Nah. You know, what, you're saying if Keir Starmer was leading the Labour Party, some Tories would be more inclined to sort of vote with Labour or vote against the government and, you know, essentially put themselves out of a job and usher in a Labour government? It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. But Hansard, the Hansard Society does a very good job of sort of tracking the people's broader views of politics and broader views of Parliament and so on. And I guess I wonder, Bridget, whether you think that it's and they and they sort of have tracked a broad sort of de- decline over time. You'd say probably in people's attitudes towards politics and Parliament, or. Would, is that not a fair characterisation of it? It's actually been reasonably stable. Um, in it's, it's it's less less variable um, than you might think. Um, but if I can uh, put in a shameless plug, the next um, edition of our annual audit of political oh, yeah. engagement is um, should be heading for you in early April. We yeah. Hope. Um, it, we, we, do you know what's in it? I do. <laughs> And? I'm afraid I can't. Oh. 
but but um, but I mean that it will obviously we, this is a this is a, a face-to-face uh, opinion poll that um, Ipsos Morris Ipsos Mori does for us once a year, um, and this is obviously the the one that will have taken the temperature of what people have been thinking. Well, let's guess what is in it. I think you, what you'd see is is, is is this massive increase in people being potentially or a, an increase in people being engaged with politics and political ideas, but at the same time, people being turned off by Parliament, right? So Burkow's right. People are don't think that Parliament is functioning effectively. Do you think? I, well, I wonder if people will just... It depends how you, what you talk, mean by engagement. People will be aware of it, but I think people will just watch Netflix instead. They'll just go, this is absolute guff. I'm not... I don't want to get involved with the ideas, the people, the process, none of it. And there'll yeah. be a disengagement as well as obviously a massive, uh, you know, do you like politicians will be like zero. Okay, uh, so, you, so you think people... This is a Brexit family fortune is waiting to happen. <laughs> it's totally going to happen. Okay, so the answer is a constitutional convention, right? That's, that is surely what we need to get out of this, isn't it? Well... And if so, or if not it... even, what are the chances of it happening, whether you think it's the right solution or not? I, I think I think it it's, it's, would be helpful to be sort of quite clear about, well, what exactly is it we're trying to fix? What is, what is not working and what exactly is it we're trying to fix rather than just sort of assuming <laughs> before we've even really looked at it, um, you know, what is not working and... And what isn't? Um, and are we absolutely sure that the biggest problems, the most urgent problems, are the constitutional ones, um, or are they, or are they political ones? So we, we those two things are surely really closely tied. But there, are, there are some political questions that are that are not really mm. constitutional. So, so for example, when whenever. Um, we do polling or, or focus groups or whatever about parliament quote unquote what you what you quite often find most annoys people is 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 things like um you know how much how much mps get paid you know whether anybody answers the phone when they ring the constituency office do they are, are they seen out and about in the town center on a saturday these the, the you know these kinds of very practical um things and and mps behavior individual MPs or collectively their behaviour rather than these sort of great constitutional uh, reforms. Yeah, I mean, are we guilty of not taking a wide enough lens to this? And that, you know, we three in this room are caught up in this very intense thing that's going on in, in different ways. Do we need to step back and go, hang on, this is a thing that's going to happen in a few, you know, over a process of a few months. Brexit is going to happen all right i know that's contentious but let's just accept that there will be a brexit of some sort things will move on you know in 10 years time you know you're talking about the 70s we'll, we'll look back and say well that was a bit nutty and yet things essentially carry on uh mar- largely the same do we need to take a, a, a more historical view of this no no i think i think you can i don't think there's going to be some sort of grand reversal i can't see a politics with big majorities, I think I see that as the fundamental problem. It will lead to this this tension between executive and legislature, as opposed to that's the sort of fundamental thing. So I think I think I can't see British politics returning to some sort of status quo if there ever was a sort of status quo of of stability and normality. If there ever was a sort of normality, I don't, I, don't, I can't see. I think this is probably the new the new normal. Do you agree? I'm I'm not. 
entirely sure about that. Um, I think I think the the tensions within the Conservative Party in particular about you know really quite different visions for the future of the country and the kinds of um, policies that should be pursued. I think they they are you know they predated Brexit and well they one mm. of the reasons why we ended up in in with with Brexit. So I I do feel that you know those could persist unless unless you get a sort of decisive rupture of of, of the party. Um, but I'm trying to imagine you know if if either or both main UK parties were to change their leaders, and if one or other of them were to achieve a House of Commons majority again, would would things revert to some sort of more normal? Politics. Well, I think the party system is defined now by the by the by the way that the leaders the leaders of these parties are chosen. And I think now, and this and this is something to do with the way that you know Westminster, the House of Parliament is an inherently sort of elite institution or whatever, and it's and and now it's being defined by the membership of these of these parties, and that creates a, a tension, and it means that you can't ever. It's hard to see these sort of catch-all parties mm-hmm. that can command majorities in the House of Commons. Anymore because we've got, uh, you know, the party politics as it works in the House of Commons, and you've got a party politics as it works among memberships of parties and so on. And this and this means that it's difficult to, and this is because politics is owned by everyone. The it's because of the internet and so on. It means that you can't just suddenly say, oh, the the MP should decide the leader of a party. That just wouldn't wash it, right? So then you have a system where members decide the party, and then that means that you can't create a party that can really. Has any reasonable chance of, of commanding a majority in the House of Commons? I don't think, but I think that mean that creates then this tension between the legislature and the and the executive. Internet, someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. I mean, last week we had these votes on the Ben Amendment, right? And this would have given MPs the possibility of taking control of the Brexit agenda, I think it really was quite a pivotal moment. And yet you saw MPs shirk from it, MPs that had just resigned from government the day before over Brexit policy, not voting for this, right? People that had signed the amendment didn't end up voting for it. And that was because people sort of have this 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 loyalty to party politics, which mm-hmm. supersedes the sort of issues at stake and so on. That's, that's, that's again, that's something particular to, to Westminster and British politics. It's, and that's, that's, I think that's, I think that's, well, and whether or not in the next couple of weeks, you know, and this is why they're trying to get indicative votes. So they have the license to to get rid of their sort of party identities and to sort of let loose because they because they currently feel constrained by them. I mean, Bridget, they... Bridget's frowning like well, you're talking I mean, nonsense. No, no, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. But I mean, you know, the, the other thing to bear in mind is that the the motion for the resolution for extension uh, last Thursday was only carried um, because of Labour votes. Um, yeah. So in a sense, and and you know, party as I said earlier, party discipline has break broken down quite significantly. Um, so people people are, you know, feeling able. Some people under certain circumstances on some issues are feeling able to vote vote yeah. across the house. But what it is remarkable, we have Liddington and Barclay stepping up in that in the House of Commons and saying one thing, and then the complete opposite happened. I mean, and you can argue that that is. You know, to bring it back to start, a constitutional political. Mm. If if people are say, saying one thing and then feel like they have to do the complete opposite, this is because it's, this is because there's a, some there's something conflicting here that means that things just aren't working. So, yeah. 
MP so parliamentarians when they're at the dispatch box can't be honest, and that and then and then and then you're getting into a real. Well, that's a big show, and, and that's not the fault of of David Liddington, I don't think, because I think at the time he thought he was being honest. But I mean, this is mm. <laughs> that's. I mean, I think this. I think this. Go, as I say, this goes. I think back to the, the sort of the breakdown in, in the government having a firm position that all its members actually stick to publicly. Um, but I think the the other issue that that then raises is the sort of accountability ones. If you're a voter toddling down to the polling station and you want to vote Conservative or you want to vote Labour, well, what position are you voting for? Or to put it the other way around, if you have it, you know what position you want to vote for, uh, you know, how sure can you be that that is actually the position of either the Conservatives or, or yeah, Labour? Well, this is what <laughs> Phil Cowley's been saying for a long time, is that discipline in the House of Commons has been breaking down, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Whereas actually the general perception is that MPs just do what their leaders tell them to, to do, and that is a bad thing. Actually, the opposite's true. Every it's for the last twenty or thirty years, discipline in the House of Commons has has been slowly breaking down. But that's not necessarily a good thing for democracy necessarily. So actually, this is a a longer term thing actually in terms that Brexit is coming at a point where that's reaching it. You know, it's, you know, so it's um, speeding up the process. Speeding up this process oh, oh. Of, of of the fact that MPs feel increasingly that 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 party discipline isn't one of the core. But I mean, I don't know. It's like one of those videos on David Attenborough where they speed up a mushroom growing. <laughs> you know, the MPs they do they do still feel, you know, a pull of party mm-hmm. loyalty, absolutely. But I mean I think this is why it's come down, you know, to very individual and very difficult and personal decisions sometimes. You know, I've got my own personal views, I've got the party position or at least the party loyalty I've got you know my own voters in my constituency I've got the position of my constituencies a whole these are, it's really genuinely difficult mm. I think and 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 as we've all seen people who started at the, in the same place have have just made individual decisions that have got that have gone differently it's a very personal difficult decision so given that given the complexity of it when you wake up each morning at the moment do you think brilliant what fresh exciting moves is there going to be this morning that I can get into that are going to affect everything I've been learning for the last 20 years I can put to practice and all the, the theory is going to happen or do you wake up thinking what fresh hell awaits today how are they going to make more of a mess of it today I'm afraid at the moment I'm more towards the what, what fresh hell position um, simply because it's there is you know there it is moving so fast and so many completely unprecedented um, issues are coming up that it, you know, it's challenging. Um, but <laughs> That's I mean, a good you know, word. fascinating. We're, we're in a in a way, you know, we're, we're very privileged to be to be able to to watch it professionally, observe it, and try and make some sense of it professionally. Um, but it is it is challenging. I can't can't say other than that. <laughs> you should be a politician using the word challenging to describe what others might have. Others might have pithier pithier phrases that we try to avoid on this podcast. Um, Alan, do you wake up thinking, well, hey, this is going to be another exciting day in Brexit land, or are you increasingly disillusioned and uh, disappointed uh, by what you find? I guess you, you. Yeah, no, I guess you wake up not knowing what what's going to happen happen next and i do think sometimes that actually you know would we would we be are we any further 
on in our knowledge being so close to it? Or mm. could you have sat, sat back and six months ago a year said, ultimately, Theresa May is going to do whatever she can to force MPs into a binary choice? And we're just seeing the machinations of that and the things we're running through and the things we're talking about, constitutional gears going through, through the motion. Ultimately, the big picture stuff, how much of it has really changed? Are we still look, we're still looking at an essential choice. Theresa May, can she create a situation where MPs are faced with a binary choice? And I think that's. I think. I think. Uh, sometimes I worry that you know I spend too much time in bed thinking about Brexit and not enough. You know. You do. You do. Yeah, spending any time in bed thinking about Brexit than yeah, just spending about, too much time. Know, I would Peter say. Bone or whatever. Oh, that's <laughs> going down a very. Oh no, that could go down a very weird oh, route. Given it is incredibly complex, um, your Brexit policy panel still try and boil it down to some nice binary choices Absolutely. for us, which works for <laughs> Brexit family fortunes. It's Brexit family fortunes, and here is your host, James Miller. UK Changing Europe ask a hundred experts to predict the future. Um, you are one of these experts who foolishly takes up their challenge. <laughs> and uh, We ask in Brexit Family Fortunes to try and predict or to try and uh, guess what the, the result was. How many of the hundred think there will be no deal, Bridget? Uh, about 40-something, wasn't it? 40. Oh, no? Do you know these figures? I know it's your project, so you ought to know, but you often get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to predict? So I think the, uh, the question is... Out of ten, what likelihood would you give a no deal? No, no. The question is, how many of the hundred? <laughs> how many said of there the hundred? No oh, right, I'm trying to wiggle out of it. Uh, oh, forty seems high. Twenty-five. Wrong. It was thirty-eight. Yeah, you're right, Bridget. <laughs> uh, how many of the hundreds think there will be a free trade free trade agreement by December 2020? Less than a quarter. Right, less than twenty-five percent. I think they're an optimistic bunch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, by twenty twenty forty percent. Twenty twenty. That's like that's next year. What are you thinking? It's oh right. Twenty five percent. You Hang do on. this project. How do you get this wrong every time? Well, Matt crunches the numbers. <laughs> ah, I see. You just ask the questions. Um, and let's finish with the feature that is called "In the Unlikely Event This Podcast Has Enlightened You Sufficiently." That's the correct title. I've cracked it after two years. <laughs> In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Um, recommendations for understanding Brexit. There's ever getting very long list now we're getting. Uh, Bridget, what's your recommendation? Well, I was pleased to see that um, Annan's book with Jeff Evans had been recommended already, so that removes it's from recommended the, at the, least the, once exactly, by him, possibly more than once from by the him. duty to, to recommend that. Um, in the end, I decided um, because I was surprised not actually to have seen it having been recommended by somebody already to mention um, the late Hugo Young's book, This Blessed Plot, from uh, 1998, simply because um, I'm afraid I'm old enough to remember reading Hugo Young's columns um, while I was, I'm afraid, still at school, probably. It's a it's an account of the UK's relationship with... Um, continental Europe and the, the European integration process through the prism of, of Prime Minister. So he goes through chron- okay. chronologically and does a, does a chapter mm-hmm. um, all the way through from um, Churchill to Blair. The book was published in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he has a he clearly has a position he has a take he tries to weave the whole story together in, into a into a coherent narrative but it was I remember in particular um, Hugo Young was the first person that sort of in, uh, crystallized for me the sort of tension in some Eurosceptic thought between you know this idea that the UK is incredibly strong and great and powerful and influential and is set up for global leadership and yet at the same time we're somehow unable to get our way within the European yeah. Union and I you know and we all know that that is still one of the tensions that is, is often commented on and is in, in is live and uh, Hugo Young was the first person who flagged that up for me. Alan, right, what have you got that's, that's cool? Because you, let's, let's give you proper proper uh, credit here, <laughs> recommended Dave. Like Dave the Rapper, yeah. Last yeah. summer or something. Yeah. And how his album's come out, and apparently it's amazing. Number one. Have you listened to Dave's album? I have, is yeah, it, is yeah, it as yeah. as good as they say? I mean, I prefer the early stuff, but that's what I know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah right, okay. Uh, so what cool recommendation have you brought us for uh, this time? Then? Well, I think it's cool. I Uh-oh. think she's cool. Uh-oh. So I the man can't... who lies in bed thinking about Peter Bowen. <laughs> 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 I think Catherine Bernard is cool. Catherine, Tell you what I think is cool. Catherine Bernard is, is very cool. I think it's really cool. We had Catherine Bernard last week on uh, Question Time. Yes. And I think she was fantastic in exposing and thinking about these, these, these constitutional, legal, political questions. I think it's amazing that Question Time is having people on. Had my boss on Anand a couple of weeks ago and he did okay as well. He did. I thought Catherine was fantastic. And I think, I think and, oh, you know, and check out the clips on our Twitter or whatever and of her of her discussing but I think I think this is a really sort of positive thing and I think the whole thing about experts and Brexit right but uh, actually people really do trust experts we get the polling experts you know come top of the people that, that people trust over on the issue of Brexit and it's great that they're getting voice on things like question time There you go, Dr. Alan Wager thinks about Peter Bone when he's in bed. I mean, take that thought, that analogy, that, or whatever, take it wherever you want, really. Um, That is quite the revelation, isn't it? Is democracy broken, eh? That's a big question, and I don't think we really got an answer, but we had a jolly interesting discussion trying to find one, and I strongly suspect it's a issue that will be up for discussion at the UK in a Changing Europe annual conference happening on March the 29th. Brexit Day itself. Or is it Brexit Day? Who knows, really? I don't know. Is what I say to it all, really. I mean, who knows anything anymore? Um, But what I do know is the UK in a Changing Europe annual conference will be very enlightening and maybe even a bit fun. So go to the website for details of that. Uh, and come along. I'll be there. If you're there and you listen to this podcast, please say hello. If you want to get in touch in other means, well, if you want to get in touch with UK and Changing Europe, they are at UK and EU on Twitter, or their website is ukandeu.ac.uk. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter. A man who did get me on Twitter is our competition winner. Yes, we have a competition winner. You may remember way back at the start of series two of this podcast when we inaugurated the excellent feature that is Brexit Family Fortunes. I said, what is the link between Family Fortunes and Brexit? Well, I gave you a hint a few weeks ago that it had something to do with the presenter, or maybe I said it had something to do with Nigel Farage. Anyway, 
the answer was um, Bob Monkhouse famously presented Family Fortunes. Nigel Farage is a leading figure of Brexit. Both of them are alumni of Dulwich College, the elite private school not far from my house. And the man that got this right, who finally worked it out, is a man called Dan Stavers or Dan Stathers. I don't know, he's on Twitter, so I don't know how you say his name. Um, he's a very nice man, seems to be a very, very nice man, tries to make jokes about Brexit. Fair play to him, I say. He sends them in to Newsjack, and they very rarely get read out, apparently. But uh, that seems very unfair, because the ones I, I've seen that he shared were quite good. And the pick of the crop, according to himself, he chose this one, is... Here we go, Brexit joke, big build-up. Why are Remainers more likely to get a clip round the ear from their mums? And the answer? Because they signed up for the Maastricht Treaty. Yes, the, the Ma, as in mum, strict, strict mum, the Maastricht Treaty. I thought that was quite good. Um, certainly it's the best Brexit joke I've heard, I think. Um, so well done him. Uh, I can't really say what he's going to win because I have not rummaged through the bins at the UK to Changing Europe office yet. But I'll do that next time I'm there, which will probably be next week. So, uh, you know, come back for the next podcast to find out what amazing bit of tat I found for him to have as a prize, if nothing else. Um, come back anyway, because we've got some good guests lined up for the last couple of episodes of this series. Uh, and then we may be back, you never know, with another series with all new features to look forward to. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, come back for another episode. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast. The music has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. And this podcast has been supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.